Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Um, thank you all for that lovely applause. Uh, we are in the second week of our series on Colossians, and Heather, you and I, I mean, you had no idea really what I was going to talk about, but much of what you said connects well in terms of, you said two things that stuck out. One is using your gifts throughout the week, which is what one thing we're going to talk about. And the other, you, you talked about story. You talked about that man and how Heidi asked him about his story. And so today we're going to talk about stories. Um, we are in, in Colossians chapter 2. Last week, Rochelle, you did a great job of setting us up for um, this as you preached on chapter one, which I loved, and a lot of what you said just resonated with me and challenged me to go out, and uh, you kept saying, get with the program, get with God's program, and you talked about, um, again, just uh, the part that stuck out to me was you wouldn't join Weight Watchers and not watch your diet. You wouldn't wa- join Weight Watchers, and you wouldn't um, exercise and do, I don't know what you do in Weight Watchers, honestly, o- other Weight Watchery type things. Um, you wouldn't do that. And just like if, if you say you're going to follow Jesus and you don't read your Bible, you don't get with God's program, you can't expect to see that growth. Um, and so I love that. And now I'm in chapter two. And to be honest, I had a really hard time landing on what to talk about because chapter two is just jam-packed with tons of good stuff. And for me to have to fit it into a 35-minute sermon um, was impossible. And so we're going to be here a while. I'll try to get, I'll try to get you out of here by three. Uh, I'm just kidding. It'll be 35 minutes on the nose. Exactly. The Bears play at noon. Actually, they play Monday night, don't they? So never mind. We can stick around a while. Um, <clears throat> But anyway, here's what I recommend. Since chapter 2 is so jam-packed, and so is chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, all of Colossians is jam-packed with great, great stuff, and there's no possible way we could cover it in four weeks, uh, my challenge to you is to go and to read Colossians. Each week of this series, read through Colossians at least once a week, because it's so good, and you will you will be shocked, I think, at how much you can get out when you actually sit down and you spend time in God's Word and you read through things. And especially as we are preaching on that, um, I think more and more will stick out to you. And so grab a pen or a highlighter and your Bible or your phone. We have phones that have the Bible on them. And so if you run into something that you don't know what it means or you're unsure of, you can literally just Google it. You can look it up online. And we have more access to the Word of God than anyone in the history of time. And um, so that's my challenge to you. And if, if, again, if something pops up that you're just like, I have no idea what that is, just look it up on the Internet. The Internet also has crazy people, so be, <laughs> kind of be careful of what you're looking up. Um, but also talk to me. Talk to anyone else you see in this church because we would love to sit down with you and talk through what you're reading, talk through Colossians or anything else. So uh, that's my challenge to you is to read through Colossians once a week through this, through this series because um, I can tell you how good it is, but you won't actually know for yourself until you experience it. Yeah. Uh, let me pray before we get into anything today. God... I pray that you would speak through me today. I know that I could just simply open the Bible and read Colossians, and that could be life-changing for all of us, um, but I'm going to try to explain it and to preach from it, and I am hopelessly underqualified for that, um, except for the authority that you have given to me by Jesus and what he did on the cross. Um, I'm thankful for that gift. I invite you in Today, I invite you into this conversation. Uh, I need you, we need you, and we're grateful that you have pursued us and that you love us, and I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to what you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name, 
Amen. So I told you we're going to talk about stories today, so it's story time. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I love stories. And even when I was a kid, I loved story time in school. So when I was in like first or second grade or kindergarten or whatever, we would pull out those carpet squares as if they were going to protect us from the hard tile underneath. <laughs> and we would sit around in a circle and the teacher would read us stories and you would kind of have to like adjust because your butt was falling asleep and your tailbone would be hurting. Um, but that was my favorite time during school. And even now that I'm all grown up, I still love stories, whether it's a friend who is telling me a funny story or whether I'm sitting here and people are telling stories like that story you told, Heather, just a couple minutes ago. I love that. Um, I love reading book stories. Like uh, I love watching movies, seeing stories in movies. I just love the concept of story. And some of my favorite movies and books are like uh, Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, these fantasies where the story just takes you into this kind of fantasy land or this other, it takes you into another world. Those stories are incredible to me. But um, lately, I've kind of been focusing on reading true stories. So I, I read, uh, let's see, fiction is not true, right? <laughs> Nonfiction, that's super confusing. Nonfiction is true story. So I've been trying to read uh, nonfiction books. Some of my newest favorite stories are based on a true story. Um, and so I have a friend named Mark, and Mark was an old roommate of mine, and he loved scary movies. And so I would, he and I were roommates, and so I'd walk into the living room, and he would be watching a scary movie. And I can't stand scary movies. I'm not a big fan of scary movies at all. Uh, when I was in eighth grade, I watched Scream, and I got so scared that I laid by my mom's bed for like multiple weeks afterwards because I was so scared. And that was eighth grade. That's kind of like borderline acceptable, borderline you're a little girl. But <laughs> the point is, I don't like scary movies. I think we've all been in a situation where we've been watching a scary movie, we've all been in that situation where like, we're with friends and they're watching a scary movie and you don't want to watch it, but now you've started it and you can't really back out because they're going to know you're scared. And then you make up an excuse why you have to leave, but in order to leave, you have to walk back home like a block in the dark. <laughs> and so you just stick it out, but then the scary movie gets to like the really scary part and you experience the terror farts, and you can't really control your bowels anymore. And I know we've all been in that situation. And so that's why I hate scary movies. And anyway, my friend, my, my friend Mark loves them. And so I would walk into the living room, and he's watching on my 26-inch flat screen TV, he's watching scary movies. And I would always walk through into the living room, and he'd be like, hey, I'm watching The Strangers. Do you want to join? And I would have to come up with an excuse because I didn't want to experience eighth grade scream night again where I'm sleeping next to his bed. And so I'd come up with an excuse why I couldn't. And finally, one day, I just kind of ran out of excuses because he would watch these movies constantly. And so I walk in, and he's like, hey, I am about to watch The Haunting in Connecticut. Do you want to join? No. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. But I kind of was out of excuses. I was like, I'm 26. I can probably handle this. <laughs> so I watched it with him. And I don't remember much of what it was about, but I know it was very scary, and there were some uncomfortable moments for me. I did not experience the terror farts that day, but I made it through the movie. But then, at the very end of the movie, when the credits are rolling, it, like the very first thing it says is based on a true story. And I'm like, heck no, that's the scariest part of the movie right there. <laughs> the fact that it's based on a true story. And here's the point. When something is based on a true story, when, it, when a story is based on a true story, that changes everything. Yeah. And the Bible is based on a true story. The book of Colossians is based on a true story. These are based on actual events. And as you read through this book, it's important to remember the context of what's going on. Colossians 
is a letter that a guy named Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. And Paul is in prison. This guy named Paul who wrote the letter is in prison at the time, so he's writing this letter from prison, and he's writing to believers in Jesus, and there are people who he's never really met before, but he's heard about them, but the names and the people and the places in this book, they're all real. They're all based on a true story, and the people they're writing to, again, he's writing to the church, and so they're followers of Jesus, but they've started incorporating pagan elements into their church, things like Uh, worshiping elemental spirits and believing these false teachers and things like that. And so Paul writes to them this letter that he's kind of spitting some truth at them. He's he's giving them insight to the truth of what what they're hearing is not real. And he's giving them insight of what is actually true, what is actually real. And in this letter, he basically is trying to reground them in the truth about Jesus. And what I love is Paul continually points them to the supremacy of Jesus. I could read through and I could read, like I said, it's jam-packed, chapter 2 is jam-packed with stuff, but I'm going to highlight a couple things here. Verse 6, Paul says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Truth. Verse 20 says, You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. It's truth. Verse 19, he talks about these false teachers and not being connected to Christ, Christ being the head of the body. That's truth. And the reason I read these is because I want to make a point about Paul. The, the reason I read these is in all he does, Paul is continually pointing these people back to Jesus over and over and over and over. It's about Jesus for Paul. All he cares about is sharing the gospel. All he cares about is telling Jesus' story. We, ask, we talk about other people's stories. We're going to talk about that soon. But Paul talks about Jesus' story constantly. And the, the part I want to get to in chapter 2 is verse 13 through 15. Because in three sentences in this letter, Paul shares the gospel. He shares Jesus' story. Uh, verse 13 through 15 says, You are dead because of your sins. And because, of, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. In three sentences, Paul shares the gospel. But that's not the only time he shares the gospel in this book. He shares it in chapter 1. He shares it in chapter 2. He shares it in chapter 3. He shares it in Ephesians, and he shares it in Romans, and he shares it in Corinthians. What's interesting to me is that Paul shares the gospel constantly, all the time. And he shares it with the church. This isn't a group of nonbelievers. He, the people he's writing to know the gospel. They know Jesus' story, and yet um, they know his burial, Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. They know Jesus' story. Yet Paul still re-preaches it all the time. Throughout the New Testament, Paul is constantly, constantly, constantly re-preaching the gospel. If I were a friend of Paul's, I would kind of be like, Paul, we get it. Jesus, the gospel, got it. Thank you for sharing that, but I get it. You want to talk about football or something? And he would be like, yeah, but get this, Jesus died for our sins. And and he would constantly, 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 everything he does, he's pointing us back, re-preaching the gospel. It is the most important thing to him. In 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. In Romans 1, 16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. There's nothing else in the Bible that's described as the power of God outside of the gospel. It's not the, the giant expansiveness of the universe, and it's not the uh, omnipresence of God. And the, uh, it's, it's the gospel. 
Nothing else is described as the power of God except the gospel, and Paul understood that, and that's why he's constantly, constantly, constantly re-preaching the gospel. I, I tried to figure out how many times he re-preached the gospel or shared the gospel in the New Testament, so I started reading through it, and like 5% of the way through, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do this. It was already at like 20 times, and uh, someday I would like to do that, but I didn't have the time or the capacity to do that because it was constant. He is always preaching the gospel literally everywhere. If he was in prison, he'd share the gospel in prison. If he was in the marketplace, he would share the gospel in the marketplace. If he were in the synagogue, he would share the gospel in the synagogue. It didn't matter who he was talking to or where he was. He was constantly pointing people to Jesus, the most important thing in his life. And I think a lot of times we can point people to the most important thing in our life, but sometimes that's the Cubs making the playoffs, and sometimes that's our kids or our family, and those are good things, but it's not the gospel. It's not the power of God. And I think we need to remind ourselves constantly the power of the gospel, and I think Paul did that. Here's the thing. He didn't just preach the gospel with his words. He lived out the gospel with his actions. When he is in prison, he's loving the people who are holding him in chains. He is loving these people who are his captors, and as a result, his captors come to know Jesus. We are called to preach the gospel like Paul did. We're called to preach the gospel all the time, not just with our words, but also our actions. We're called to share the gospel at our work. We're called to share the gospel at our home, to our kids. We're called to share the gospel to our family and to our parents. We're called to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus, but also the people who do know Jesus. Paul is doing that, and we're called to do that too. We are called to be a light to those around us. As Christians, I believe that is our purpose. Um, and I, I say this all the time, but I, I, it impacts me, and it's a reminder I need. So I'm going to say it again. God didn't just save us from something. He saved us for something and to something. He gave us a purpose and a calling and a hope. He gave us a reason for being on this earth. And I think sometimes we rely too much on that. God's saving us from something, and we forget about the rest. God's saving us for something and to something. Um, and I don't know about you, but I want to be known for boldly sharing my faith. I want, when I die, people to look at me and say, man, that guy lived out his faith. He didn't just share his faith, but he lived it out. Um, and the, I also think Paul, Paul shares the gospel all the time for the benefit of others. He does it for his captors. He does it for the non-believers. He does it for the believers, but he also does it for himself. I think He's doing it as a reminder to himself, too. And I think we could all stand to preach the gospel to ourselves a little more. I know I am constantly forgetting what Jesus did for me. I'm constantly forgetting the power of the gospel in my own life, and I let shame get the best of me, and I let fear get the best of me, and I forget what Jesus did on the cross, and that, that was enough for every failure for every fear, for every moment of weakness. It was enough for every sin that I have ever committed and will ever commit. And not just for me, but for you too. That death on the cross was enough for all of us, for every sin. And going back to Colossians 2, 13 and 14, that is basically the essence of our faith. As Christians, that is what we believe. You were dead because of your sins. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. That is what our faith is about. And when we embrace this, when we believe it for ourselves, that is when the shame goes away. That is when the fear goes away. That's when we have the boldness to share that same story with everyone around us. That's when we become 
strong enough and bold enough to share it with our coworkers, to share it with our families, to share it with anyone we come in contact with. Um, I want to talk about this concept of stories a little more. I told you how much I love stories, and I told you that Paul loves stories. But I think he uses the concept of stories all the time, and he uses it in such a strategic way. He, he knows, he, he cares so deeply about three different stories. He cares about God's story, he cares about your story, and he cares about the people he's, he cares about his own story. So I work for Youth for Christ, and we had a terrible, terrible, terrible branding situation going on for a long time. And so you could Google Youth for Christ, and a thousand different things would pop up, tons of different logos, tons of different um, names, and all kinds of things like that. We had a branding problem, so we hired a marketing company nationally to come in and kind of fix that for us. Um, And we got this brand new logo, and it had three rings, and each one of those rings, maybe you can kind of picture the YFC logo. It's kind of like this on, on the stage. That's not the logo, but that's the thing I'm going to talk about here is each one of our rings in the YFC logo represents something different. It represents God's story, our story, and their story. So God's story, and then the, the students that we're ministering to, that's their story, and then our own story. Um, and so Paul got that. And he, again, he strategically used this to share the gospel. He's constantly sharing God's story. We talked about that all the time. Everywhere he goes, always sharing the story of Jesus. He knows it. He believes it. He lives it out. And there's a quote by Francis of Assisi, um, and I like it. It's something to the effect. I didn't even look it up. I probably should have. But it says, preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. Like, just this idea of, I want to live that kind of life. I don't want to have to use my words for people to know that I'm a Christian. I want to share God's story with my actions. And so, uh, going back to those three circles, he, he shares God's story all the time, but he also deeply cares about their story. The people that Paul is preaching to, he is deeply intertwined in their story all the time. He's learning people's story. In Acts 17, um, Paul is in Athens, and he's preaching to this group of pagan, unbelieving philosopher types. And so they're not Christians at all. They're, they're people who don't know the gospel at all. And when he's preaching to them, he doesn't come at them with a bullhorn and just yell the gospel into their face, um, but he takes the time to learn about them. And he talks about what they care about, and he talks to them in their language, and he talks about their world, and they have these inscriptions on statues in that, in that book. And um, he talks about those, he uses those to share the gospel. He meets them exactly where they are. Not just literally, he goes into their synagogue and meets them there, but also where they are at in their faith. And so he shares grace with them. He, he shows them grace for where they're at, but he also points them to the truth. And they're talking about this unknown God in, that, uh, in Acts 17. And he says, like, I know that God. This unknown God that you're talking about, I know that God. That God is Jesus, and he's changed everything in my life, and he doesn't have to be unknown to you anymore. You can know him and have a relationship with him personally. Um, And I love that he just, Paul cares so deeply about the stories of other people. Can you imagine if we cared so deeply about other people's stories? If we invested in them, if we asked them about their story, I will never forget a time in my life, I I was, this was probably 10 years ago or so, and my friend Ty Paluska, I was in his wedding, but the very first time that I met him, um, he was like, hey, we should get coffee sometime. I was like, okay, you seem like a cool enough guy, not a serial killer, I'll get coffee with you. And so we did, and we sat down, and we didn't have any agenda or anything, I didn't know what we were really meeting for, but he said, what's your story? And he just listened for two hours to my story. I told him about my childhood. I told him about my family. I told him about my job, my hopes, my dreams, everything. And he continued to ask questions and learn my story. And that developed into a deep friendship where ultimately 
I was in his wedding, and it's because he simply asked me to sit down and tell my story. And that's something that I will never forget, the way that the simplicity of tell me your story. And I want to do that for other people. We're called to care deeply about other people's stories, to have them to our table, to ask questions, to pray for them, to get to know them, um, to, to find out where they are and where they're coming from. And then finally, Paul shares his own story. Paul constantly is sharing his own testimony. He's, he's talking about his chains. He's locked up in prison. He always refers back to his chains. Um, he shares his conversion on the road to Damascus. He talks about how he used to be someone who would persecute and capture Christians with the intent of killing them. And he shares that. He's not ashamed of the story that he's come out of. He's constantly sharing his testimony and what God has done in his life. And I think too often we don't share our own story enough. We're called to share our own story with people because there is power in our story. And that maybe you've gone through a divorce or maybe you've gone through a miscarriage. You can use those types of things for the power of God's glory. You can use those things in other people's life who are going through those same things. And it doesn't matter how good or bad or dull or boring or engaging or dramatic your story is, it matters because God has given you that specific story. And if you're a Christian, the cool thing is, is your story is unbelievable. Your story is one that ends with you being a follower of Jesus, you going from death to life. The summary of your story is, I was blind, but now I see. And that's a story worth telling. And Paul kind of uses all three of these stories in such a strategic way. And uh, he does it all to see as many people come to know Jesus as possible. And I I think we need to do that same thing. Um, This YFC logo kind of reminds me of Venn diagrams. I don't know if you remember Venn diagrams. I'm taking you way back to my school days with the story time and now Venn diagrams. And Venn diagram is basically like two circles that interlock. One's up here. So um, this is one I created for myself. Uh, On the left is things I don't like. I don't like losing. I don't like scary movies. We talked about that. I don't like, um, what's that say? Olives. I hate olives. Oh, gosh. Ew. And I don't like dogs. And then on the right side is things that are furry. Kittens, dogs, bunnies, and kiwis. Uh, Like kiwi fruit. They're furry. And then in the middle, those two things, in the middle is where like those two things connect. So dogs, I don't like them, and they're furry. They're in the middle, all right? I have one more here for you. So this one, this next one, is large men on one side, spandex on the other, and in the middle there's football. So that, those are Venn diagrams if you remember those. Um, and so here's what I want you to remember. So going back to the three stories, the three different things, um, I think that where those three stories intersect, that very middle point, that's where life change happens. When we're sharing, uh, when we're loving others in a way that we're knowing the depths of their story, their pain, what they're going through, and when we're being open and honest and bold about our own stories and strategically sharing what God has been doing in our own lives, and when we're boldly, boldly sharing God's story with the people around us, that is when we will see the church grow. That's when we'll see people come to know Jesus, when we're sharing all three of those stories in bold and strategic ways. That's when God's going to do amazing things in the lives of people we love, in the lives of people around us, in the lives of people at our work, with our kids, all these. But in order to be doing this, we need to be spending time with Jesus. We have no hope in doing that without spending time with Jesus. We need to be fully reliant on the Holy Spirit to be guiding us and showing us when and where to share and when to ask questions and when to be silent and when we should just be praying and when we should boldly share our faith. 
Like, those things don't just happen. We have to be spending time with Jesus to know when those things happen. So Lauren and I are wedding photographers, and yesterday we actually had a wedding in um, Mackinac at the Red Barn. I don't know if you've ever been to the Red Barn, but it's a nice wedding venue. That was our first time there. We have the opportunity to go to a lot of different wedding venues, uh, which is really cool. And a couple years ago, we went to one in particular that I thought was awesome. It was St. Mary's Cathedral here in Peoria, in downtown Peoria. And there's a picture of it up on the screen. It is an unbelievably beautiful church. If you're coming from Bloomington into Peoria over um, the bridge on 74, it's the one to your right-hand side with the two pointy steeples that is just like this old Catholic church. And you get up to it. It's kind of creepy looking, like it might be in a scary movie. I don't know. I haven't seen too many of those. Probably won't. But um, it's... It's a gorgeous, gorgeous church. And inside, as you can see in the picture, kind of along the sides, there are these beautiful stained glass windows. And that's the best picture I had, so you can't really see the stained glass windows too much. But you can see the wedding party up there. Uh, but anyway, these, this place is beautiful. And as you go around, the stained glass windows share the story of the Catholic diocese, I think is probably the right term to use there. I'm not sure. Um, how that came to Peoria. And it's, it's just cool to look at these windows. Uh, but right after we were there, or right before we were there, this church underwent a $2.3 million renovation on the ceiling, on the windows, on a couple different things. And the, a lot of that money was spent on repairing some of these stained glass windows. And it, it was a sunny day there. It was beautiful. And so the light was shining through these windows and just made it a perfect venue to have a wedding. Um, but afterwards, I was thinking, I'm like, $2.3 million is a lot of money to spend on windows. And then I started thinking about stained glass windows, and I'm like, really, stained glass windows only serve their purpose when the light is shining through them. And at night and on dark, rainy days or whatever, they just kind of make the place darker because they're not a normal window. Um, but these windows only serve their purpose when light shines through them. But when light shines through them, they're unbelievably beautiful. And that's us, too. We only can serve our purpose when Jesus' light is shining through us. When Jesus' light is not shining through us, we're not doing what we're called to do. But we can only do that when Jesus is inside us, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when we aren't filled with the light that Jesus has, we can't be expected to be a light for others. Uh, I think oftentimes we forget that God's story and our story are more deeply intertwined than we can possibly imagine. We are a huge part of, of God's story, whether you know that or not, whether you are participating actively or not. And I think the main problem with us and with this world is that we make ourselves the main character in our story. So often, we think of our lives and we think, this is my story, I'm the main character. And that's not how it's meant to be. We have the wrong main character in our story. If you think about a movie where, you know, let's think about Home Alone. If we had Home Alone where little eight-year-old Kevin McAllister is fighting off these two burglars, but instead of having him as the main character, we had John McClane from Die Hard. Suddenly that movie isn't quite as good because in the first three minutes of the movie, John McClane chucks those bad guys off a skyscraper and the movie's over, which still would be a cool three-minute movie. But <laughs> and then the opposite is true. If um, Macaulay Culkin's character, little eight-year-old Kevin McCallister, was fighting terrorists, in that big skyscraper in Die Hard, that wouldn't make for a very good movie either. And I think so often we have the, the wrong main character to our story. If you have the wrong main character, that ruins everything. And Jesus, in our lives, is supposed to be the main character, not ourselves. It's so easy to make ourselves the main character, but that's not what, how life is intended to be. Jesus is supposed to be the main character. But he's not just supposed to be the main character. He's supposed to be the director. And he's supposed to be doing the lights and the sound and the editing. 
and he's supposed to be the producer and the art director and the screenwriter, and every single thing is supposed to revolve around Jesus, because if it revolves around us, it's not going to end up a very good story. And we're going to ultimately end up messing things up. But the coolest part of our story is that Jesus looks at us knowing that we're going to mess it up, and he says, I want you to play a part in this. I want you to have a critical role. I have a job for you, and I think you're going to be perfect for it. And all you have to do is accept that role. So I want to finish by telling you a true story. We're talking about based on a true story. I want to tell you a true story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then God went on to create the skies and the seas, and he created the ground and the grass and the trees and the plants and night and day and fish and birds and animal and everything that we see. And after he created all of that, he said, it is good. But then, because God wasn't satisfied with just good, he created you. He created us. He created mankind. And instead of saying it is good, he said it is very good. We are God's masterpiece. And way back in the beginning, we, as God's masterpiece, were in perfect relationship with God, God in the Garden of Eden. And everything was exactly how it was meant to be. And it didn't take long for sin to enter the world because we as humans decided that, you know what, we know better than God and we're going to kind of take his place. We're going to make our decisions for ourselves. And we're going we're gonna to sin. And as soon as sin entered the world, suddenly God was here, and there's this huge Grand Canyon-sized gap, and we're over here, and our perfect relationship with God is no longer how it was meant to be. And no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, we can't get across this gap called sin that we want so desperately to get across. But God wanted us. And in spite of our sin, and in spite of the fact that we constantly turn our backs on him time and time and time again, he pursues us. And ultimately, he sent Jesus, he sent God himself in, in the form of man, fully God, fully human, to come and live in this broken world with us. Jesus came, and he lived a perfect life in a broken world. He's the only one who's ever done it, and he's the only one who's ever come close. Be, but because of this gap, because of sin, there has to be punishment for it. And much like if you break the law, you go to jail. If you sin, the punishment is death. For the wages of sin is death. There has to be some payment for this sin. I want you to imagine a courtroom, and you're there, you're sitting in front of the jury, jury, and in the judge's hands is a list that's a mile long of everything you have ever done wrong. Every wrong thought you've ever had, every time you've lost your temper, every lie you've ever told, every time you've been jealous, any time you've ever done anything that goes against God's perfect plan for you, that sin is on that list. And the bad news is that there are witnesses for that. And there's no denying that every single mark on that mile-long list is true, and you're guilty of it. And the punishment for even one of those is death. And it's not just any death. It's the most gory and horrible and gruesome death forever, and it's separation from God for eternity. And you're about to be sentenced And as the judge is reading that, the doors to the back of the courtroom swing open, and Jesus comes in. The same person that you have betrayed over and over and over is pursuing you, and he's loved you, and he would do anything for you, and yet you've turned your back on him over and over, and he's the one who walks in the courtroom. And so the judge looks over to the jury, and he says, can I have the verdict for this long, mile-long list? of sins, and you know it's going to be guilty, 
You know you're about to be sentenced to death, the death that you deserve. There's no denying it. And the judge opens the envelope and says something like, based on the accounts of case number 142799, we, the jury, find the following verdicts in the case of Ryan Anderson versus the holiness of God. Verdict as to count one, thinking he's more important than others, not guilty. Verdict as to count two, lying to get his own way, not guilty. Verdict as to count three, being self-centered and greedy, not guilty. Verdict as to count four, not guilty. Verdict as to count five, not guilty. Not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. All the way down the list, you're not guilty. You are not guilty. You've been beat up by your past, you're not guilty. You've been divorced, not guilty. You're addicted, not guilty. You're ashamed, not guilty. You don't have what it takes, not guilty. You are not guilty anymore because of what Jesus did on the cross. He canceled the record of the charges against us by nailing it to the cross. That is Jesus' story, and you are a huge part of it. If you have not made Jesus the main character of your story, now is the time. Let me pray. (sighs) Heavenly Father, there are some of us in this room that have been the main character of our story for way too long. And every one of us in here have strayed from you. Every one of us in here have failed you. Everyone have wandered off your path for our lives, but you continue to call us back. You love us and pursue us constantly. And God, I pray that we would make a change today, that we would put you at the center of our lives and that we would make you the main character of our story. God, we desperately, desperately need you, and we're so grateful that you have pursued us, that you've loved us, you've died for us, and you've taken the punishment that we deserved and nailed it to the cross. God, I'm thankful for that death, because with that death came life for me. And when you went from death to life, you offer me that same gift of coming from death to life. And I pray, God, that you would nudge someone in this room today to make that same decision, to make you the main character of their story. And in doing that, their life would change, their family tree would change, their eternity would change. And God, that is how life is meant to be lived. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for loving us, for pursuing us, and for offering us this gift. We pray this in your name. Amen. In run-through when they sang that song, something happened. Right at the end, that door began to open. Mike, open it up. That's a declaration, see. We're not meant to stay in here. It's great to gather in here. I heard this week, Jesus called us the salt of the world. Okay. If you just pile a bunch of salt together, how good does that taste? Now we're supposed to be sprinkled and scattered. We're the flavor of Jesus to where you are. And see, the door's already open, but we gotta move, we gotta walk through it now. We've gotta be Jesus, the church, just what Heather said, just what Ryan was saying, Monday through Saturday. This is, just, this is just to hear from him and then go out. We're not done yet. We're going to be 24-7, 365. That's the way I want to live my life. We've got to go from a mindset of, oh, God, it's Monday, to, oh, God, it's Monday. We're going to declare something right now. What do you do your Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday? What, what's your job? What do you do? I'm in, I'm in mining parts sales. What a great way to glorify God. 
firemen in Peoria. What a great way to glorify God. I stay home and teach my children, or I teach in a school. What a great way to glorify God. I work at Menards. What a great way to glorify God. You're becoming the flavor of Jesus wherever you are. We're not building a salt pile. We're flavoring the world. I'm a plumber in Arizona. What a great way to glorify God. Whatever it is that you do, I, <laughs> I help run a hockey team in Peoria. What a great way to glorify God. I purchase parts for Caterpillar. What a great way to glorify God. Are you getting it? That's the church. That's sharing your star. See, no one else interacts with the people you interact with. You're the flavor of Jesus to those people. And that doesn't mean you're carrying a John 3.16 sign around all the time. That's using the Holy Spirit you have within you to know when to shut up and listen and when to speak. Looks differently. But you have to be open to that. So I just want, let's just open our hands up. And this morning, just, just declare, say it out loud, what you do during the week. Just say it out loud. I'm a whatever. And then say, what a great way to glorify God. What a great way to glorify God. Jesus, you've opened the doors. And now we've got to move. You told your disciples, go. It's not about coming, it's about going. Go. Be the flavor of my meal to the world. Be the light in that dark place. Be the leaven that rises the bread. God, we're not pastoring a church, all of us here. We're pastoring a city, a region. We're the flavor of Jesus, the flavor of you. Whatever we do, what a great way to glorify God. So we just declare that now in Jesus' name this week that these open hands and open hearts would take your love and your light into every dark corner of where they're put, strategically put by you. And God, with your Holy Spirit, would you assign them people to reach, to pray for? God, we, we're going to see healings this week. We're going to see bitterness broken this week. We're going to see anger problems resolved this week. We're going to see people coming to know Jesus this week by the flavor of you that's in the room right now. We speak that in Jesus' name. We declare that in Jesus' name. And then we're going to come back together next week, and we're going to hear stories of what you're doing. Just like Ryan said, we got to share those stories. We cannot keep the main character, you, hidden from what God's doing in each of our lives. By the word of their testimony, they defeated him. He is defeated, our enemy. We're going to walk in that. We're going to walk through these open doors. If you, uh, I was debating, not debating. Holy Spirit's just telling me, told me earlier, he said there's somebody, some people in here that need to be healed today from from something, set free from something. If you have a pain in your body or, or, or something's going on, if that's you, just real, be really bold. Just raise your hand right now. Okay, see the people with their hands raised? Be really bold. There's other people here too. Okay, yeah. Let's, get, let's be the church. Let's gather around these people right now. Keep your hands raised. Let's gather around somebody near to you. We're going to pray for them. Jesus, you said where two or three are gathered together in your name, you're, with, you're there with them. You're here right now. We're the temples of you. We're, 
we're carrying the very presence of God. And so God, now we speak to whatever's going on in these bodies that you created. And we say, leave in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name right here, right now in this place. Not just to glorify your name. That Jesus will be lifted high. Spirit, move in this place right now. I declare bitterness and, and forgiveness instead. Chains from people's past broken off. I declare depression gone in Jesus' name. I declare headaches forever gone. I declare allergies and things, mysteries only known to you, God, healed in Jesus' name right now. setting people free, Jesus. We believe it by faith. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. setting what was captive free. You're breaking chains. You're healing sickness right here. How we bless these people in Jesus' name. Would you take what was sick and you replace it with joy? What was broken, you're rebuilding. And the church agreed and everyone said, yes and amen.